The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 132 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks, offering a month of unrestricted use, totally free, and you don't need a credit card for the trial. To claim your free month that includes all FreshBooks features, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. What the book is about is taking these ideas that you want to accomplish and changing them from a wish list into a to-do list and breaking that to-do list into small daily steps. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. I am so glad you're here. I am Jeff, and welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, leadership central to our discussion each week. But as you may know, if you've been here before, we also dig into things like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and it's personal development that, for the most part, is getting our focus today. In a moment, you and I are going to be joined by Terry Lancaster. He's the author of Better Self-Help for the rest of us. And I plan to ask Terry about the difference between striving for perfection and living a perfectly great life, his belief that sustainable change is almost always achieved through incremental change, why expectations are the enemy of happiness and gratitude is its BFF and much more. When I posted a recent survey in the Read to Lead Facebook group asking members subjects they'd most like to learn about, the number one answer was starting a side business or a side hustle. And if that's the case for you, one of the first things on your to-do list needs to be figuring out how you're going to handle accounting. And the way I've been doing it for seven years is with the cloud accounting software FreshBooks, who currently is offering a free 30-day trial to you as a listener to this podcast. In fact, the trial includes all FreshBooks features. All you have to do to claim your free month, and you don't need a credit card, by the way, is to go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and just enter read to lead when you see the how did you hear about us section. FreshBooks has a deposits feature which streamlines how you invoice for money up front when kicking off a project, say. FreshBooks can send late payment reminders automatically to your clients, which of course means you're not chasing down people, which is very, very cool. And using FreshBooks, it takes all of about 30 seconds to create an invoice. It's super easy. And for a guy like me who's not a fan of accounting, that is saying a lot. So don't miss out. Take advantage of FreshBooks offer a month of unrestricted use totally free and you don't need a credit card again to claim your free month go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead terry lancaster helps salespeople and entrepreneurs create better lives and build better businesses a step at a time starting right here right now using the power of habit focus 
and flow. And his articles have appeared in Forbes and The Good Men Project. He's also an entrepreneur, speaker, and number one best-selling author. And that number one best-selling book is the focus of our conversation today. It's called Better Self-Help for the Rest of Us. And it's a great one. I highly recommend that you pick it up. Terry, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> well, I wanted to start by getting into sort of your, your philosophy uh, regarding life. It's a, it's a philosophy that sort of runs throughout uh, the book. So share a bit, if you would, Terry, how you came to believe uh, that we really have a whole lot more control over our lives than, than we let on a lot of times. You know, I've um, I've always kind of kind of believed that I've been, a, you know, I've I've always felt that you create your own life, you create your own reality. Mm-hmm. And I've always been uh, I've been in sales for 30 years. So I've been one of these guys, you know, when I first got out of school, I was driving around the back roads of Mississippi with my Zig Ziglar tapes in my car <laughs> and the the, uh, the strangest secret with Earl Nightingale coming coming out of the speakers. So I've always kind of been that guy. Mm-hmm. I think the big change came about a few years back, four or five years ago, when I realized that maybe we don't have as much control as I thought we did. And maybe control isn't the right word. Mm -hmm. We can create our own realities, but we're not really in control of much of anything except for the present moment, our action that we take right here, right now. What I'd always thought before then was if I work really hard, I can get a Ferrari by the time I'm 30 <laughs> and I, I can be a multimillionaire and I can own my own business. I can do all these things. And everything that I was wanting was one of these things that's outside, that's down the line somewhere in the future that has nothing to do with right here, right now. The distance difference came about is when I decided that what I wanted was right here, right now, only better. And I had absolute power to make it better if I wasn't so worried about what happened then and what might be happening in the future. And I started concentrating on being better right now. Well, talk a bit, if you would, Terry, uh, about the difference between how you define better and and what a lot of us uh, get stuck in doing, and that's attempting to strive for uh, perfection. You you use this phrase that I like, uh, rather than perfection, living a perfectly great life. Can you can you go into detail about that? Well, I, it happened. I was sitting out on my back back deck one day, and I was worried about business, and I was worried about you know how much money was going to come in, I, and I wanted to do all these really big things. And I just looked out, and I've got a beautiful backyard, and I've got a beautiful home, and I've got a beautiful family. I've got a, I've got a great wife. I've got loving children. And I thought, man, what else do I need? All of this is really great. If I spent as much time and energy nurturing the soil that I have, tilling the ground that I'm standing on, instead of shooting down the line, trying to be something that everyone tells me that I should be, that all the commercials and everything on Facebook is telling me that I I need to be one kind of thing. If I would just concentrate on tilling the ground in front of me and nurturing the blessings that I've been given, that can make all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference in the world in how everything grows, but it makes even more difference in how I look at things. And if you look at things, you know, I think it's Oprah said, you're, 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 you'll never get more of what you want until you appreciate what you have. Mm -hmm. And what I say is you're like, Life will never be better until you realize exactly how good you already have it. <laughs> I, I loved that part of the book and in your philosophy. I, I certainly identified with it myself. Uh, I was just talking with my wife last week. We visited uh, her sister's house and it's expansive. And we, oh, yeah. we walked in and I looked around and I said, well, Annie, um, you want one of these too? And she's like, nope. 
<laughs> I love what we have. I, I, right. I'm totally appreciative of, of the here and now. Well, when it comes to, to goal setting, I know for me, uh, I won't speak for anybody else, but I know for me, I can look at that end result, which is usually a you know big, hairy, audacious kind of thing. Yeah. And it can be difficult to, to kind of back up from that and start breaking it down into steps and, and make it something that, that you can have some reasonable expectation of actually achieving. And I want you to talk about why uh, you believe that sustainable change, uh, whether that's to to do things like improve our health or our finances or our business or anything else is almost always found in incremental change. Well, it happens because, well, I, I'll give you the example. When I, when I started making the changes that I was making in my life and I lost about 60 pounds and I quit drinking and I started exercising and I was kind of turning ship Terry around and a buddy, <laughs> a buddy of mine said, uh, said, you should write a book about this. And I, I laughed at him. And, and I, then I joked, I said, you're right, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to call it How to, How to Lose 100 Pounds and Make a Million Dollars. But first, I got to lose 100 pounds and make a million dollars. That's what all the self-help books are. They're about these big, hairy, audacious goals that, that are somewhere down the line. because they, And they use those to, to motivate you to take the action that, that you want to take, that, that, that they want you to take. So, and, and also it helps sell more books. You know, no, no one's, no one's going to sell a book that says work really hard and maybe lose a pound here and there. That's not going to sell. Hmm. So you get, you got to have the big ideas to, that, to drive them, drive the marketing engine. And also they use it for, for motivation. But the problem is motivation and willpower are horrible, horrible change agents. Mm. They're great for getting you out of the gate. They're great for getting you up off the couch that one time, maybe twice. Mm. But motivation is a depletable asset. The more you use it, the less you have. And motivation always fails you at the exact moment that you need it most Mm. because that's the moment you run out of motivation. So what I've done and what the book is about is taking these ideas that you want to accomplish and breaking them down, changing them from a wish list of things that you want into a to-do list of things that you can do, mm-hmm. and breaking that to-do list into small daily steps that you can take every day. Because every day, if you if you set a goal of losing 100 pounds or making a million dollars, or every day that you wake up and you haven't lost 100 pounds, you haven't mm-hmm. made a million dollars, you're a loser. <laughs> you failed you become frustrated and, and several days in a row of being frustrated and not losing 100 pounds, you're going to decide that all of this isn't worth the effort. We all look for the easy button and we want something to happen right now because we've got these big goals and we want the change to happen right now. And when it doesn't, we get frustrated and then we stop. But if your sustainable change is getting up and making incremental steps every day, a step that you can take today, a step that you can take again tomorrow, a step that you can take every day this week until it becomes a habit, and then it just happens automatically. And you do that enough times in a row, then cumulative steps add up. There's a, there's a story in the book about the power of, of cumulative interest mm-hmm. and compound interest, how how tiny tiny investments can grow to massive fortunes over time. And tiny changes in your life can grow to massive changes in, in much quicker than you ever thought if you do that every day. Uh, connected to that, Terry talks in the book a bit about the work of, of a Stanford professor uh, in the areas of behavior and motivation. And I thought this was particularly fascinating. I watched uh, Professor Fogg's uh, TED Talk and, and got so much out of that. Can, can you share a bit about uh, a bit of the work he's doing in that area? 
First of all, I owe B.J. Fogg a huge debt of gratitude. He he introduced me to my favorite word. I have a, I have a degree in English, and I'm a journalist. I was a journalism <laughs> major. I've, I've been a writer my entire life, and he taught me my new favorite word, mm. and I'd never heard of it. It's automaticity. I'd never heard of this word until I saw him deliver it in that TED Talk, and I had to go look it up. And automaticity is the ability to make things happen without the upper-level thinking required. So it's if they happen automatically by routine or by habit. And he was the first one that I that I heard talk about exactly what a habit is. A habit is simply a subroutine in your brain. It's a program that tells your brain what to do. And we, we, we do that to save time. We think, especially salespeople and entrepreneurs, <laughs> we like to think that we're in charge of our own destiny, that our lives are a product of the decisions that we make. And nothing could be further from the truth because here another professor, this is a Harvard professor by the name of Daniel Gilbert. He says that we spend at least 50 percent of our time running on autopilot, that we're 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 in our subconscious mind functioning by habit the vast majority of the time. So B.J. Fogg's. He's the first one I ever heard to talk about exactly what the habit is. It's a subroutine and there's a habit loop. And he breaks down the habit into, into, into its for, formative particles that there's a trigger that causes the habit that, that tells the program to run. That's the if then part of the subroutine. If this happens, you know, if I have to get up and put on my shoe, then I tie it, you know, with the bunny ears like I've been doing since I was in kindergarten. If I'm making a peanut butter sandwich, I put the peanut butter on the right side of the bread and the jelly on the left side of the bread because that's the way I've always done it. We don't stop to think about that and make those decisions. The, the trigger initiates the routine and then the routine runs. And then at the end of the habit, there is a reward, you know, whether it's my shoes tied and my, my shoes don't fall off or whether I get to eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it tastes yummy because just like mom made, but that lets, sets off the serotonin in our brain and we get the reward and that causes our brain to seek out that habit in the future. And that's all a habit is, is a routine that runs because there's a reward trigger that makes us seek it out in the future. Now, BJ Fogg's genius part of it is, is he took that, the, the, the middle part, the sandwich part of the, of the habit loop and he said, to, in order to create that habit, you have to start small. He did a lot of research and study into motivation and willpower, which is just what I said. And that he proved that motivation is depletable. It, it functions just like a muscle. And the more you use it, the more tired it becomes. And eventually you can't get any more out of it. And, he, and the harder something is to, for it to happen, the more motivation it's going to take and the quicker it's going to run out. So what he said is you want if you want to build the habit, you have to start small. And he has an entire program called Tiny Habits. And I went through the program. I think it's called tinyhabits.com. And he'll run you through a little five-day program to uh, to create a new habit. But starting small is the key to, to, get start, to get out the gate, to start small, and to repeat this action on a daily basis until it becomes a habit. Yeah, and the, the key is, is to attach it to something you're already doing, right? Yeah, his trigger. The trigger is what causes the routine to run. So he said he decided that he wanted to be more physically active, he wanted to be stronger, and he was going to start doing push-ups. But, you know, again, like most of us, if we start doing push-ups, you're going to go do 100 a day the first day, and then you're done with it. Well, he took exactly the opposite approach. He said, I'm going to do one push-up at a time, and I need to find a trigger that I can use to remind me to do a push-up. And he decided that he was going to do a push-up every time he peed. So he'd go to the bathroom, he'd flush the toilet, and the sound of the flush was his trigger to run the subroutine 
to do his push-up. And I hope he stepped out in the hallway at least to do the push-up. I assume in my mind he did. So he goes out the hallway, he does a push-up, and then he says, okay, you know, you, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling in your arm from doing the push-up, but that's a, that's not enough. You need to really cement that serotonin boost. So he would jump up after doing the push-up and go, I'm awesome! <laughs> And do do a little do a little chicken dad do the winner winner chicken dinner shake his money maker do a little dance around the house get his smile going on because your brain doesn't know if you're just being silly in front of yourself or if you're just being silly in front of a million people or if something really great just happened your brain just knows you get that serotonin boost and tomorrow his brain is going to go oh the last time that toilet flushed we did a push up and we got all the happy juice in our head <laughs> so that's exactly what he did he built the habit. By, by by making a fool of himself and, and doing a push up when he peed. And and depending on his, his liquid intake, I understand he's doing anywhere from sixty to, to seventy push ups a day now, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, share what you mean when you say uh, that expectations are the enemy of, of happiness. When we expect things, we set ourselves up for disappointment. Mm. When we expect to lose a hundred pounds or make a million dollars, we think that's what we want and that's what that's what we were designed for. Every day we don't wake up, we disappoint. We're, we're disappointed. Expectations and comparisons are both the enemy of happiness, and we compare ourselves to everyone else, and we expect our lives to be like we see on television or like we see on uh, everyone has a highlight reel that we run on Facebook or we go over to our sister-in-law's house and she's got this great open floor plan house with hardwood floors and granite countertops. <laughs> and we expect our life is going to be like that. And we go back, you know, and I live in a 1975 ranch house and I do not have hardwood floors and, and granite countertops. And, and we go, wow, that's, that's not as cool and as exciting as all the everyone's other stuff. And we start, our, our brain is kind of like a dirt road and we, we, we go down one track of comparing us. Well, that's we're not as great as that. And we go down that <laughs> dirt road and we, we develop that neural pathway. And the more that neural pathway is set for us to be disappointed with our lives and our expectations and looking for something to complain in, that that's what we do. And expectations allow you to do that because you're, you're not reaching there. And, and you're looking instead of concentrating on here and now, you're expecting something in the there and then. Mm. I really appreciated the chapter on gratitude. Can, can you talk a bit about the, the role that gratitude plays uh, when it comes to happiness? Well, gratitude gives you the chance to form a new dirt road. Mm -hmm. We have these neural pathways in our brain that we're always, you're always ticked off about something. We're always, we're always angry about something and we're always having an argument. And that's the, the, the neural pathway that's set in our brain. Gratitude gives you a chance to develop a new dirt road, to put new ruts in your brain to become thankful. And the more the more thankful you are for what you have, the more of that you will get. So, you know, I, my, my personal habit is every night when I go to bed, I think of three amazing things that happened that day. And three, three amazing things, whether it's just the sun shining on my face or whether I picked up a new client or whether I booked a new talk or whether I got to do a new podcast with Jeff Brown. <laughs> I do a look of something amazing that happened that, that day and I become thankful for it. And I cement that in my brain. And so my brain now is looking for more opportunities to be grateful. Instead of looking for something mm -hmm. to complain about, I'm looking for something to be happy about. So gratitude in its very essence is, is simply happiness because you're looking for something to be happy about instead of looking for something to gripe about. Zig Ziglar said most people complain about something like it's their full-time job because that's how they've wired their brain. Well, what I've tried to do is rewire my brain to never complain and to always look for something to be thankful for. 
I know a few family members who could benefit from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at some of the otherwise really bright and super talented people that I meet who spend, uh, it seems, a little if any time, Terry, developing an, an honest-to-goodness uh, network, whether that's meeting people out face-to-face or leveraging social media or what have you. And I'd be curious to know what you feel like you've learned the last 10 years or so about the benefits of developing your network and, and share why you believe it's important that we all view ourselves really as, as salespeople. You just talked about your family members. If you're raising kids, they're the best salespeople on earth because they're constantly selling you. And if you're trying, you're trying to sell them on, on eating their vegetables and going to, going to school and studying hard. You're, you're trying to sell a young lady on paying attention to your, to your romantic advances. We're all selling something, whether it's, we're getting paid for it or not. We, we're all, trying to convince and convert. That's what the human experience is about, is forming a community, convincing, converting, and communicating. And I am, um, you know, I, I came I came late to this. I'm an introvert. I know you have a background in radio. I have a background in radio as well. Mm. And probably two thirds of the, I don't know if your experience is like this, but two thirds of the disc jockeys I know are all introverts. We're mm. perfectly happy talking into a microphone in a closet somewhere. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but but you, you, you put us in a crowd of people and with small talk and, and all of a sudden we got nothing to <laughs> say and we climb up and we're, we're, we're digging in our phones or, and we're, we're looking at our drink. So, and I came, I came to the party late. I, after, after being a disc jockey, I became a radio salesperson. I, I knew I had to come out of my shell, but I only came out of my shell to people who I knew could pay me money. And I've been, <laughs> I've been in the automotive advertising business now for, for 20 years. So I was really good at connecting to and selling to car dealers, mm. but I had no interest in networking to everyone else that I figured that's of no use to me. Hmm. And, but, and the, the, the internet really, really opened it up. I, I started, when I started playing on the internet and started taking it more seriously, I realized that there are thousands and thousands of people and I can reach every one of them on a device that I hold in my hand. I can reach the entire world. If, if I've got a big enough story to tell and I can tell them my story, I can communicate, I can convince and I can convert. And I was on a podcast the other day with a guy and I'm, re- I'm reading his book now. And he says that your network is your most valuable asset. Your network is more valuable than your house because we all wait for, for opportunity to knock. That's the, that's the expression. Opportunity knocks. You got to be ready when opportunity knocks. But here's the thing. Opportunity does not knock. Opportunity is an ethereal concept. You know, no, no one's going to just plop in front of your door. There is no opportunity fairy that comes up and rings the doorbell from UPS. Every opportunity in the world is connected to another human being one way or another. And you have to connect to find these now. And it's a dynamic process. You never know where your network is going, to, is going to take you. One person leads to another, leads to another idea, leads to another idea. And you don't necessarily know what's going to bubble up from this soup that you're mixing. But if you don't get out there and connect widely, eventually the opportunities are going to quit coming. Right now it's an amazing time. We have this device in our pockets that allows us access to the entire human population and to not take advantage of it. I think it's just crazy. Do you mind sharing whose podcast and book that is? It, um, the book is called Not Taught. Mm. I can't find it. Keenan, 
Keenan. By Jim Keenan. That is right. <laughs> yeah, not not taught by Jim Keenan. And he and uh, his his book is great because he's he is no holds barred. He <laughs> says, you know, you, th- your network is your most valuable asset. It's more valuable than your house. And if you're not nurturing it and growing it, you're going to be out of the water. <laughs> I suspected that too. It was, uh, but just wanted to, to confirm he he was on the show a few weeks back and uh, really enjoyed uh, chatting with him. Well, I have a, a couple of questions I want to ask you, Terry, not directly related to the book. Before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that uh, that we walk away with? Well, we're, while we're talking about networks, the the we all know the Jim Rohn quote that we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with, the five people they hang out with. One of the ideas that I like to talk about is that the reverse of that is also true, that the five people we hang out with, the five people we know and love are a reflection in part of us. I have a wife and three children. They are a reflection of me. The actions that I make, the decisions that I make, the habits that I create, that ripples out to them. In addition to being a receiver, we're all broadcasters. Mm -hmm. And I talk about in the book how you have the right to create a better life. Mm -hmm. And you have all the resources you need to, to have a better life. But you have a responsibility to make your life better. You've been given this amazing gift. You're here at this time in this place, right here, right now, the fact that you're even here at all is, is an enormous miracle. And you, ha- and you have these people that you love who are counting on you to be the best you you can be, or if not the best you you can be, at least a better you. Terry, I know you're an avid reader. Name for us uh, some books that you've read over the years, whether they're ones you're currently reading or ones that you've read in the past that have had the, the biggest impact on you and maybe ones that you go back to again and again. Probably the most impactful books over the course of my life has been two, the two Dale Carnegie books, How to Win Friends and Influence People and How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. I've gone through the Dale Carnegie course multiple times, uh, and they, they really affect your worldview. Uh, and and talk about how to build your network. Dale Carnegie, his, he says that no matter what field you're in, 85% of your success is dependent on your human relation skills, your ability to communicate, convince, and convert other people to your way of thinking. It doesn't matter whether you're an engineer or a disc jockey, your people skills are what's going to determine your eventual success. I talked earlier about Daniel Gilbert from uh, from Harvard, and he's a Harvard psychologist. He's got a great book that really changed my life, and uh, I talk about this all the time. I'm eventually going to have to send him an invoice for all the publicity I give him. <laughs> a book called Stumbling on Happiness. And it really changed the way I view happiness and the way I think. And we all think happiness is an external function that we will become happy if we get these things that we're looking for. If we get the new job, if we get the perfect mate, if we lose 100 pounds, if we make a million dollars, we can be happy then. And what he proves in the book, Stumbling on Happiness, is first of all, you don't know what you want. You think you know what you want, but you don't have the faintest idea. And secondly, getting it is not going to make you happy. Happiness is a completely internal function. It's manufactured in your head, and you have to reach inside to, to find it. There's a book by, um, he's, I think he's a reporter, and I'm not sure who, which organization he reports for, but a guy by the name of Charles DeHigg hmm. wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And uh, he took the ideas that I learned from B.J. Fogg about the, about the habit loop and really, really flushed them out on, on habit creation, how how you create habits both personally and in organizations and in products, create, creating products that are sticky, that create habits for people to come back to. It's a great book for really deep diving into the, um, the idea of habit formation. 
as a TED speaker, a TED talk giver, I'd be curious to know, Terry, uh, what are some of your tips for being sure to deliver a, a talk that's impactful and, and one that's memorable? Well, the, the first thing, if, if you have any desire to speak in front of people, to communicate, convince and convert, uh, whether it's giving a TED talk or giving a sales presentation, the first thing I would encourage anyone to do is to to join their local Toastmasters organization. I'm a member of a Toastmasters group here in town, and we meet every week. And I've, I've gone through the Dale Carnegie course a couple of times, and the Dale Carnegie course is great for getting you up and speaking. But Toastmasters gets you up and speaking every week, and and, and the price is, is almost non-existent. It's mm-hmm. dirt cheap. But what Toastmasters has done for me is a couple years ago, I gave a speech and I got, you know, I was super excited to give my first big speech and I memorized every word and I memorized every line and every dramatic gesture and every dramatic pause. And then, um, and then I had all these notes that I wanted of what I wanted to talk about. I got up in front of the, I was at a sales conference in Dallas and I got up in front of everyone and I realized I can't read my notes without my reading glasses because I'm 50 <laughs> years old. And then when I wear my reading glasses, I can't see anyone past the, I can't even see the front row. There's this vast blur of humanity. So mm-hmm. I'm standing on this stage in Dallas, Texas, trying to read my notes, talking to this blur of people I can't see and just getting more nervous and more lost mm-hmm. as, as the time went by now. And I got finished. No one threw anything at me, but it was um, but it wasn't a spectacular speech because I was lost in the notes mm-hmm. and I wanted everything to be perfect. But things aren't going to be perfect. They're always going to be. Uh, there's always going to be a little bird poop in the pool. Things, you know, <laughs> things are never going to be perfect. So what I tell everyone is when you're when you're speaking, quit trying to be perfect. Internalize the story that you want to tell and tell your story. And if you're telling your story and you're speaking from the heart instead of speaking from your head, you don't have to go by the notes that you have. You can just tell the story that needs to be told. Tell the story that wants to be told. And people aren't going to remember whether you stammered a little. People aren't going to remember whether you said, uh, you know, 17 times or whatever. They're going to remember the story that you told and how you made them feel. So my advice to speakers is two things. Join Toastmasters and speak from the heart. Speak from the heart, not from your head. I love when conversations uh, lead to firsts here on the show. And I think we have one here and it's bird poop. Bird poop, yeah. <laughs> The book has been out for what a few weeks? Uh, it's actually a few, uh, a few I released months now? the book on December twenty eighth. Okay. So on December twenty eighth, I went to bed as a fledgling writer, and I woke <laughs> up on December twenty ninth, and I was number one in my category on Amazon. On December thirtieth, I got the tramp stamp right across the back. It says number one best selling <laughs> author. So. No one can take that away from me, Joe. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, what are you working on uh, next? What's what's on the horizon for for Terry Lancaster that you can that you can share about? The biggest thing that's been a surprise for me since the book came out is I wrote the book. And again, I didn't know what was going to bubble up from this activity that I was taking. Mm -hmm. I wanted to write the book. And the the biggest thing that I've gotten is the feedback that I got. People really enjoy the book. I've got a ton of reviews on Amazon, 80 some odd reviews, averaging 4.9 stars. And I read these reviews and I get emails from people in India in Britain, all across the U.S. and Canada. Hey, I've done that. I've lost 10 pounds. I started walking around the block. My wife and I are, are doing push-ups when we pee. You know, I get, I get, I get these, I get these feedback that my little words in my goofy little book are actually helping people change their own lives. And that's been more fulfilling, I think, than anything I've ever done in my life. So my entire goal these days is to wake up every day and to share this story more, to get more people 
to look at creating a better life and giving up on the pursuit of perfection in whatever whatever role that takes. If I can do more podcasts, I've, I've loved doing these. I've got to meet a great a lot of great people. So I want to get on more podcasts and talk about this. I want to get in front of audiences and deliver this speech and deliver these ideas and change people's lives that way. And I'm looking at other other ways to do that. One of the things I've um, I mean, it's in the, kind of in the formative stages. I think I'm probably going to take what's in the book and create an online training you know, small group group course of some kind so that I can actually work, you know, deep dive with a couple of people who are trying to create habits in their life and uh, and work with people around the world like that. But I I really enjoy the impact that this seems to be having on folks. And you just reminded me, I think we actually had two firsts, uh, poop and pee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. in the same conversation. I got bodily functions all day long, Jeff, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> well, uh, the book, again, is Better Self-Help for the Rest of Us, and I found it to be, uh, and I mean this in a good way, irreverent, snarky, uh, <laughs> full of uh, great and, and easy-to-follow advice. Uh, Terry, it's a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for, for sharing your work with us today. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you. To find out more about Terry, including the links and resources he mentioned, as well as the books he recommended, just go to the page created especially for this episode, and you'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 132 for episode 132. A few weeks ago, I featured an episode of Listener Questions, and I'm toying with the idea now of adding a listener question to the end of forthcoming episodes. I say toying with the idea because I'm not certain, 100%, that it's something you want me to do. And so uh, the best way to cast your vote, if that is indeed something you'd like to see me do in the future, is to simply ask a question. And the way you can do that is go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash question singular, no S on the end, readtoleadpodcast.com slash question. There, just using your computer's external microphone, you can leave your question. And if it turns out I receive a good amount, I may begin including these at the end of future episodes. And by the way, when you leave your question, be sure to begin by introducing yourself and stating your website address if you have one. Hey, ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes if you listen to us on that platform or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher, another way to leave a rating and review. And please consider the free trial being offered right now by our sponsor, FreshBooks. Just go to freshbooks.com slash readtolead. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.